With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Episode 44 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques again, back with you this week for another Knicks NBA show during this sportsless time in our history. Hope you're doing all right out there. Hope you're having a decent week as much as you can during this difficult time. A lot to get to on the show this week. This was a bit of a better week for for sports news. A lot to talk about. We'll get to some Knicks uh, news that's been kind of trickling through over the last couple of days. Um, We'll talk about the latest uh, things going on with Leon Rose, Scott Perry. We'll talk about maybe a little bit about the head coaching situation with the Knicks as well. Things that could be happening moving forward with the Knicks front office as well. Apparently things are still very much up in the air, but a lot of things could still happen as well. Uh, And we'll talk about some other Knicks news, some other NBA news, and some other interesting things going on around the league. A lot to get to. again, Again, some interesting stuff. We'll talk some trade rumors as well. Might touch a little bit on the Jeremy Lin stuff, uh, which was, I, I, I don't know, I, I think depending on the fan, depending on the Nick fan, some might find that interesting, some might not find that interesting. So we'll see if we'll touch on stuff like that. But first, oh yes, we have to. It's our new weekly segment. With a little bit of a cue that Donna Summer. I, I mean, this was the song I thought of when this when the when the talk first came out, and now it's officially a weekly segment. Basically, the book club of the podcast. We're talking about episodes three and four of The Last Dance on ESPN, documenting the '97 '98 Chicago Bulls. Talked about episodes one and two last week, but a lot of interesting things to get to on the podcast this week with episodes three and four um you know it was interesting because with three and four i thought it was going to go in one direction i i really thought that they were going to i don't know if, i don't i wouldn't say chronological you know chronologically go through it but i thought we might get a little bit more on scotty pip and i thought we might get a little bit more on his contract situation and we did but Dennis Rodman really stole the show in parts three and four. I mean, he was all over the place, as he is. I mean, it was, t- it was a classic uh, Dennis Rodman performance, as only Dennis Rodman could do it. Uh, it, it, was, it was really uh, captivating throughout the entire two episodes, specifically... Uh, the parts talk, talking about Pippen's thirty game, thirty five game absence when he was out with uh, the foot surgery. It started out with the role of Dennis Rodman on the team. You know how good of a basketball player he was, his upbringing, uh, his relationship with the Pistons. Obviously, he was a big part of the Bad Boy Pistons, and then ended up going to the the Spurs and then the Chicago Bulls. And we really enjoy 
I do at least, going through his past and then his time with the Bulls. Like, you you, you kind of realize how much of a wild card he was, how much his relationship with Phil Jackson, how important that was. You know, Chuck Daly kind of figured him out, how to use him properly, Rodman that is, and then Phil Jackson had a slightly different philosophy, but it was basically within the same vein, which is Dennis is going to be Dennis. He's going to screw up sometimes. You kind of got to let him do that, and then things will go well. And I thought that was really, you're going to get the most out of him. I thought that was extremely intriguing. Uh, obviously, everyone was going goo goo gaga over the Carmen Electra interview. Some of the stuff that got left out there was uh, left out of the doc that I was reading about was just raunchy and really like, you know, the the other side of, you know, hey, this guy's just a crazy guy. Uh, but the stuff in the doc was very funny uh, about the Vegas trip, the, the, the quote unquote vacation that Rodman goes on in the middle of the season that was supposed to be 48 hours and turned into almost uh, <laughs> almost five days uh, of Rodman uh, partying and hanging out with Carmen Electra and and, uh, and things like that. Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas and and stuff like that. I I I think that you know we could have gotten a little bit more out of Carmen Electra, and apparently there was you know there was more on the cutting room floor there, but Rodman's perspective throughout that I thought was interesting, and then Michael Jordan's perspective, the 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 video that everyone reacts to in the documentary of Michael Jordan basically talking about his thoughts on what happened with Dennis Rodman and how it was handled throughout that season, I thought was very interesting as well scotty pippen reacting to, to michael jordan's thoughts uh and things like that you know 48 hours turning into 72 hours almost turning into four or five days i, I thought that was very funny um and, and intriguing you know dennis robin really steals the show in parts three and four and kind of takes over the dock i mean kind of like scotty pippen did in episode two but to a much more entertaining extent you know scotty pippins was very serious it was you know it was about what he deserved what he thought he was worth on the team and that was a very big talking point obviously during that time but dennis rodman's was basically all about him his personality his role on the team but more about you know what you have to do to control dennis and basically you get the most out of dennis whereas with scotty pippin it was just you know are we going to pay him what he's actually worth or are we going to continue to take advantage of his contract that he should probably not have signed when he signed it for as long of his contract as he signed it for the bad boy pistons uh, were very interesting for those that haven't seen the bad boys 30 for 30 i suggest watching this uh i i suggest watching the bad so this is tough because if you haven't watched it it's too late you've already watched three and four of the, of the last dance most likely so it's tough but it's better the the Three and four parts three and four of the last it's almost like the Avenger movies. Parts three and four of the last dance are much better, in my opinion, if you have seen the bad boys 30 for 30 already. Like if you've seen that documentary already, it's very good. It's even this is even more interesting. The the bad boys uh part in the last dance is a lot more illuminating. It's a lot more you can understand it a lot more a lot a lot better i should say i'm trying to say and then on top of that it's a lot more compelling television if you've already watched it's like it's like watching 
Endgame and skipping Captain Marvel, you're like, well, well, who are these people? Where do these people come from? Who are they? What are they doing here? Why do they matter? Like, if you if you're a sports fan and you skip the bad boys, like you don't know who the bad boys are, it's tough to to enjoy. You enjoy. I think you probably enjoy the episode a little bit less watching it the first time through because you don't know who they are and what they really. I mean, they they give you a good idea of who they are in case that's the and, and if that's the case because this is you know the film and the episode stands on its own, but you really don't know the full impact of the bad boys until you watch the bad boys thirty for thirty. You get a little. You get a deeper. Yeah. You know, a deeper dive into Rodman's relationship with Chuck Daly. You know, Joe Dumars, John Sally, get a lot more thoughts from Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer on how they were looked at, how they were treated, how the league looked at them, and things like that. It gets even deeper than what The Last Dance does, obviously. It's its own documentary. So if you get a chance, if you haven't watched 3 and 4 yet, obviously the spoilers are in the title of this podcast episode. But if you haven't watched The Bad Boys, watch it before you go any further in the Jordan documentary. It is worth your time. It's very good. And the characters from that documentary show up again, obviously, some of them do, in The Last Dance. The Isaiah Thomas interview is very interesting. And then Michael Jordan's reaction to the explanation when the Bulls beat finally beat the Pistons. You know, they, they came up short so many times against Detroit. It was just another loss for a while with the Bulls going up against the Pistons. They finally beat them. They swept them. They knocked him out of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Bulls then go on and and win the NBA championship over Magic and the Lakers. We'll get to that in a second. That was a lot of fun to watch as well. But the 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 behind the scenes, you know, the the before Darth Vader's starship gets blown up, before the you know before it's over. Before they blow up the Death Star and knock off the Pistons, there's a lot more underneath the, you know, the, a, a lot of backstory to the bad boys that gets left out of the documentary. It's in that 30 for 30. So watch that because it's so, that's interesting in itself. But then when it, you apply it to the, you get the Jordan and the Bulls perspective on the bad boys, it completes the picture. There's a full puzzle piece here to the full doc. I, it's so cool to kind of connect that together and get the other side. Michael Jordan's reaction to Isaiah Thomas's explanation for why they walked off the court. It was a passing of the torch, kind of like the Celtics did when the Pistons finally, after time and time again losing to the Celtics, when they finally beat the Celtics, you know, the Celtics walked off, walked off the court and they didn't shake any hands and stuff like that. So basically, Michael Jordan was saying, well, sportsmanship is sportsmanship. And Isaiah Thomas basically said, well, that's not how it worked at the time. You know, that's how you, pat. we were, that's how we were given the torch. So that's how we're giving the torch to the Bulls. Whether you agree with that or you don't agree with that, it's compelling to watch Michael Jordan's reaction because you could tell he hates Isaiah Thomas to this day. He can't stand him. He can't not. No wonder John Stockton was on the dream team and not Isaiah Thomas. I mean, he just can't stand the guy. He hates him to the core to this day. And that, I mean, that reaction to watching him watch the video tells you everything you need to know about Michael Jordan's thoughts on Isaiah Thomas. It's fantastic 
fantastic television and something that definitely needs to be uh, talked about more. It was very interesting. No question about that. And again, you know, playing off the bad boys, the Jordan rules, you know, kind of re-examining that was very interesting. I, I thought, I, I felt a little bit, it felt, um, I don't want to say let down. I felt like they didn't give me enough of the Jordan rules. I felt like there could have been more there that they could have dove into. I, I felt like it was, it almost felt like an aside. Like it felt like, you know what, there's, you know, there's this rivalry, right? The Bulls are trying to knock off the Pistons. They keep coming up short. And then it's like, oh yeah, and by the way, the Pistons are kicking everybody's ass while they win, like literally beating people up. So that's how they, you know, tried to stop Jordan. It was like, that part of it was like, that's kind of assumed. Like I, I, it almost made it feel like it wasn't as big of a deal at the time as it was. Now, the part of that that hit home for me was was hearing the quotes from Chuck Daly. Basically, you know, the, the Dennis Rodman in the doc says that Chuck Daly basically says every time he goes to the bleeping basket, put him on the ground. That that stuff was interesting. That was like now you're you're hearing the conversation now. You can hear Chuck Daly telling Dennis Rodman and company to flatten Michael Jordan every time they see him come down the lane. Like that kind of stuff was very intriguing, but it felt like it was a side. Like it felt like it was not really because that was a big deal at the time. So I, I kind of felt like it was maybe because it's a ten part series. I, I it's so well done. It's it's I'm nitpicking at this point, but like I felt like the Jordan rules were an afterthought in this, and maybe it's because this is coming from the Bulls' perspective. A lot of this documentary, you get the thoughts of the of the some of the Detroit Pistons in this. Like, if you watch the, I think if you watch the Bad Boys Thirty for Thirty you get an even better perspective on why they were doing that and why, not just basketball-wise, but why they just wanted to kill Michael Jordan. And again, you get that, you know, you get a little bit of that slipped in there that, you know, it's the league trying to hype Jordan up and Jordan's the next guy and the Pistons are just kind of in the way and and things like that. But it really is fleshed out in that bad boys 30 for 30, which is why, again, me watching episodes three and four of the last dance i knew that already like I, that all that's if you've watched the bad boys you know this already so watching it you know doesn't make a big difference because you've already seen you already know enough about the bad boys for it to make sense but if you haven't watched the bad boys 30 for 30 this could have felt like a little bit of an aside like it didn't really you might not have gotten the full appreciation for this rivalry and i think that that you got to watch the bad boys too as well to make sure that you get the full picture. Um, another part of this segment of the last dance that I thought was very interesting. It probably is the last big thing that they dive into is they, they start to really go into Phil Jackson. And I, and I didn't think that they would do that for at least, I thought they would maybe give us a little bit more on a couple of the other role players. I thought they, but to be fair, you know, when you're ranking biggest names on this Bulls team, you know, it's Jordan, it's Pippen, it's Rodman, you know, Phil Jackson comes next. So it, it, it makes sense that you go to the coach next. And for those that don't know Phil Jackson, again, for me as a Nick fan, uh, I've come to hate Phil Jackson <laughs> in recent years, but I've always appreciated him as a coach. And obviously 
for for Knicks fans of you know decades ago, he's a legend. I mean, obviously Phil Jackson's a two-time NBA champion as a player with the Knicks, so he he's always going to be a Nick legend. But his front office uh, stature took a hit over the last couple of years. Regardless of that, it was interesting getting the first impression from Michael Jordan when Phil Jackson was brought in. It was interesting getting the Phil Jackson uh, early days stories, him coaching overseas, you know, how he kind of, you know, got his personality while coaching in Puerto Rico. Uh, although that's technically not overseas, the U.S. I don't know if it was at the time, but Puerto Rico is technically a part of the U.S., so that's a little bit of a debate politically. But to be fair, it was interesting to see how he became the Zen master that he is and then started applying it to his team. Yeah, that, you know, that, that Bulls team that kind of became his first baby in the NBA before he ends up going on and coaching the Shaq and Kobe teams and then the Kobe teams that won back-to-back championships after that. So I, it was very interesting seeing that side of it. And on top of that, right, we get to see Phil Jackson and, and the way he kind of was as an assistant coach you know, under Doug Collins. And then you get the Doug Collins perspective of this as well. Doug Collins kind of gets the shaft after, you know, taking that next step with the Bulls. Jerry Krause and company kind of felt like, well, you know what? We got to this point, but we need somebody that's going to win us championships now. And Phil Jackson ends up being that guy. And it was a perfect pick at the time as well, which then it's so funny because while I was watching it, I'm thinking, man, he's so sold on Phil Jackson when he brings him and he takes a chance on Phil Jackson, right? And Phil Jackson's now the coach and they win that championship. They get over the top. They beat Magic Johnson and the the Lakers and win the NBA championship in five games in 1991. And that's Jordan's first championship comparing to where the status is in 98 where he's basically saying all right phil you're done you're not coaching here anymore with what we know happens next (laughs) to phil jackson where he goes on and wins you know more rings than he's got enough fingers for um crazy crazy like thinking about i'm thinking about this as we're going through episode four my whole thought is like we're getting both perspectives like at the same time almost like if you're if like again if you're paying attention you might have the same thought as i did which was wow they were so all in on phil jackson he did all this stuff for them for for them had so much left in the tank as a coach clearly and jerry Krause is now saying you get one more season and we'll and then you're gone doesn't matter what you do you can go 72 and 0 and you're gone he's arguably the <laughs> phil jackson's Arguably the greatest coach in any sport ever. And this is what he's being told. In 1998, when he goes on and wins, you know, five more championships after that. Holy smokes. Uh, It's crazy to think about that as you're seeing the footage of Phil Jackson being given the job as the Bulls head coach. That was my thought going through that was just... The, the symmetry in this documentary is really interesting. We're only in the fourth episode. So really excited to see uh, what happens next week. Uh, before we take a break, I just want to kind of preview what's up next. Apparently, from what I've been seeing on social media, Kobe's going to be on the next 
Last Dance. So I'm bracing myself for that. I'm going to be very... Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough watch, obviously. The pictures that have been going around from the doc, not the footage, but the pictures of Kobe uh, getting ready to talk about the, uh, you know, the bulls of that era. It's going to be a tough one uh, to go through. This is probably the last thing that Kobe gives the NBA. So think about that you know, as you're watching it. This is it. I mean, this is kind of the last time we're going to see Kobe um, with something new in the NBA. And it's going to be sad to watch. I, I, I'm already kind of bracing myself for Sunday um, for five and six. I don't know which episode he's in. I didn't get the chances to try to find that out. But uh, clearly they're going to dive into Kobe next. And Kobe gets... Uh, Apparently a decent amount of camera time in the dock, so um, it's going to be a tough one. But I am I am still excited because we still got six episodes left, so we're going to get our money's worth out of this Donna Summer track, and we're going to get our money's worth out of the quarantine period with the Last Dance ten part documentary with four episodes. And let me know your thoughts on the documentary so far and what you're looking forward to in the next couple of weeks to come as we've still got three more weeks of episodes to go in the last dance all right book club is done for this week let's take a break nicks and nba news to talk about when i come back shock shock nicks podcast on the posting and toasting podcast network okay second half of the show i i I didn't know where to go here because I get I get confused sometimes with 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 people during this time because I don't know like it's tough to gauge what you guys are interested in. I know what I'm interested in. I know what I want to get. I know what I want to see. I know what I want to dive into during this time off and um you know this time away from, you know, normal life, if you will. I think I'm kind of sticking to the current events. It's what I've been trying to do on the show. If you're enjoying that, let me know. If you're not, let me know. I'm trying to, you know, this is for you guys. I'm trying to give you guys something to look forward to every week. And the people that have been listening to the podcast still during the quarantine, I I tip my cap to you guys. You guys are awesome. It's a bit of a mix of that this week. It's a bit of a mix of the, the hardcore headlines and some of the not, you know, some of the not so, you know, the stuff that just kind of like gossip, you know, kind of like just fodder, just stuff to talk about during this time where there's not a lot to talk about. Like this stuff would normally not be stories. Um, we'll start with the Leon Rose situation and Scott Perry is going to be the GM for the Knicks, at least for the upcoming season or whatever this season will restart. And then obviously next season, uh, Leon Rose, uh, this is according to the athletic uh, this is, the, I mean, uh, first reported by Newsday, by the way. I got to tip a cap to them. Leon Rose, and this was on Wednesday. You know, this is, I mean, Athletics summed this up perfectly. This is his biggest, you know, move he's had to make so far as the Knicks president. He's kept Scott Perry on as the GM. Scott Perry's been with the Knicks since July of 2017. He's going to be there for next season, regardless of how all this turns out. And... Mutual option that he had coming on May 1st, it has been, you know, it's coming. It's picked up, and he's under a one-year contract. So this is um, 
a bit of a controversial decision, I would say. I think I think depending on where you are as a Nick fan, this is you could have gone one way or the other on this. You know, this is an old regime guy at this point uh, under under Mills. So you, you know, do you want to keep him under? You know, the Steve Mills regime kind of lives a little bit. Although some people thought that you know Scott Perry was a little bit immune to what Steve Mills was doing. I I don't know if that's true. Um, but it's it's interesting because. You're leaving it up to Scott Perry to make some pretty big decisions here. How much do you trust him as a Nick and as a Nick fan? You know, he's going to he's going to get a year. You know, he's got a year to really show Rose and the higher-ups with the Knicks that this is the guy to rebuild this franchise. That's a lot of pressure on a one-year contract. Sometimes pressure makes diamonds. <laughs> this is the dumbest cliche ever but sometimes this is the you know, the motivating factor that that can work out so it depends I, I i when i first saw this my initial reaction was that it made sense and the reason that it made sense was because of the, of the time we're living in right now coronavirus is going to have a huge impact on sports you know Whenever they, whenever sports gets back, and then the year after sports gets, like it's going to be a long impact, you know. And the longer this goes on, the longer the impact is going to be, and the deeper the impact is going to be on the sports world and obviously society as a whole. Keeping Scott Perry's the safe choice because there's the draft coming up. You know, you still have a draft coming up regardless of when. The season is resumed if it is resumed. So you still got to make some big decisions on the future of the franchise. And Leon Rose felt that, you know, we need a guy in here that at least knows the personnel, can get some good draft picks in here. Remember the Knicks, you know, if the season ends today, the Knicks have a top 10 pick and they got to nail that top 10 pick. Now, Scott Perry drafted RJ Barrett. You can argue so far it's been a relatively good pick. It's been a good, successful choice so far even though we're not even through one year, but you can make the argument that, you know, R.J. Barrett, although, you know, not much else he could have done uh, there, but pick R.J. Barrett. But, you know, there, there's young guys in place, right? Kevin Knox is in place somewhat. We talked about him last week, the the improvements he has to make and the, and the franchise's role in trying to make that happen. R.J. Barrett's there as well. Mitchell Robinson, again, is another pick that's been relatively successful uh, during the Scott Perry era. So you look at those three and you're thinking, all right, you know, Scott Perry's done some good here. We can't take a huge risk and try to hire a new GM for this draft. We certainly can't go in without a GM for this draft. That's happened before in sports. It never works out. So this has to be the move. And it makes sense. It's the smart move for where we are. You can't scramble around for a coach and you shouldn't be scrambling around for a GM either and the Knicks right now are holding their cards to the chest and it's a smart move have a guy you you maybe not if you're Leon Rose but if you're the organization that you know has done some good for you in recent past has made some decent picks in the draft we, we got to have somebody ready to roll for the summer because we need to start getting some other young guys in here to continue the rebuild so I like the decision. I don't love the decision, but it's, you know, under the circumstances, there's not much else the Knicks could have done here. They had to make this decision. And 
I think you you stick with Scott Perry for now. Again, it's only on a one-year contract. You see how he does this year. Again, we don't even know where the NBA is going to be in April or May of 2021. It could look completely different, so we have no idea. But for now, you know, I think this makes sense. I think for once, the Knicks thought about all the options before making this decision. And I think playing it safe here makes sense. You know, hold on to what you got. See if you can get what you can get in the draft. And then whenever this season comes back, whether if it's this year or it's postponed to next year, or whatever the case may be, we will see how it goes. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Mike Bakornov has kind of been my go-to guy on this podcast. He always gives me some good content to digest as a Nick fan and a Nick podcast host. And obviously this is a big off season for the Knicks. So again, this is a huge decision. So I, I, I think that when you look at all the options for the Knicks here, again, your three options aren't all aren't great, right? Option number one, you fire Scott Perry. Now you're looking for a new GM in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. Not ideal, <laughs> not ideal, for two reasons. Number one, uh, you're stuck at home. You should be stuck at home. Only. You can't travel. No one can travel. This guy's got to move his family at some point. Guy or gal's got to move his family, his or her family at some point. Not happening. Like, you're going to be compu- communicating on Zoom anyway, or on phone, text, call anyway. But that just doesn't make any sense. And number, you know, option number two, you fire him and then you don't hire anybody in time. And now you're stuck without a GM and a draft and you look like an idiot or three, you keep Scott Perry. You see what he does for the next year and then you reevaluate. And I think that's the easy, not the easiest option. It's a tough decision, but I think that makes the most sense out of what the Knicks had here for options. And, and keep in mind, you know, there's rumors running around that, you know, there's a lot going on potentially further past what happened on Wednesday with the Knicks front office and you know apparently rose reportedly reached a deal with cleveland cavalier senior director of basketball operations brock aller who's going to join the knicks as a chief strategist and apparently aller's a noted salary cap expert and i'll read you the quote Uh, i believe this is from the new york post uh mark berman the quote is quote perry's current staff which includes personnel director harold ellis assistant GM Gerald Matkin, scout Fred Caulfield, and capologist Michael Arcieri aren't guaranteed to return as Rose continues evaluations. Berman reported these contracts run until August and there will be changes, or there could be changes, but Perry will have input into future scouting hires made by Rose. So Rose is, you know, he's putting his stamp early on the franchise but there's clearly, he's, he's moving things around to get what he's, he, he basically wants to have everything set and ready to go for the draft at all his pieces in, in place, his ducks in a row, as they say. And then he's going to see what happens with the NBA season. And he's going to take his guys that he gets from the draft and they're going to go forward and they're going to see what happens with this young roster that they continue to try and rebuild. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens going forward. But Obviously, a lot can still a lot can still change with coronavirus. A lot can still change with the NBA, and a lot can still change moving forward with the Knicks in the front office. So, stuff to keep an eye on as this continues to move forward into the month of May, which is when you will be listening 
to this podcast on the Friday, May 1st. So last thing, actually two quick things, two quick kind of quick fire things before I get out of here. Chris Paul, trade rumors are picking up and apparently uh, some of the Knicks think the point guard could bring a winning culture to the organization. Uh, This is from SNY's Ian Begley. Apparently, unnamed members of the organization believe the 10-time All-Star point guard could have a similar effect on the Knicks. So, it's it's a weird one for me. Uh, there's a lot of reaction to this. The people in the Knicks organization apparently feel that trading for Chris Paul could help jumpstart their effort to build a winning culture. That's according to Ian Begley. Um, another quote from Begley, I think that there are still people with the Knicks who feel that bringing Chris Paul into the roster at this time would jumpstart the franchise's effort to build a winning culture to give these young players winning habits. Begley said, also noting that New York's new team president, Leon Rose, is Paul's former agent. Now, I feel I feel a lot different about Chris Paul than I did a few, not a few months ago, than the beginning of the season. And he's turned OKC into... Uh, a perennial or, or, or a guy, you know, a team with a great chance of, of doing something in the NBA playoffs in the Western Conference. And I'm again, remember what I said about Chris Paul at the beginning of the season when I was predicting this the Thunders season. Now, I ended up being dead wrong, but what I said was because at the time I thought they were going to trade Chris Paul, I thought. And I thought that if they did that, what was left was not going to be nearly good enough to be a playoff contender. And I had them very low in the West. But my thought was, if they kept Chris Paul, you're obviously going to have a chance to be around in the playoff one. And they've been more than that with Chris Paul. They're, they're very much in the playoffs, and they could be a contender to maybe make a run if we ever get the season back on track with the COVID-19 pandemic. So now, you're now you know, again, you're thinking, wow, if he could do that with the Thunder, could he do it with the Knicks? Now, that's a very long stretched or very far stretched to make i have no idea but you know frank isola comes out you know according to nba sources the knicks have been gathering intel on chris paul and could make a run at him this summer paul's 34 years old has a huge contract but he's had a resurgent season with okc and is a proven leader and obviously was once represented by leon rose it's another little uh, a little apple out there that's being hung over it's being dangled in front of Knicks fans, I, I would hold your horses on this because, I again, you're going to have to trade a lot to get Chris Paul. He's now a valuable asset. He's now going to cost a little bit. You know what I mean? It's not going to be a walk in the park to get Chris Paul. And if OKC says, I want Kevin Knox, I want RJ Barrett, I want Mitchell Robinson or, or one or two of those guys... I don't think you do it if you're the Knicks, but maybe others feel differently. Let me know what you guys think about it. I just think I look at Chris Paul's age. I look at his longevity from 34 years old on. How, how much longer can he keep doing this? But on top of that, the contract. I don't think it makes sense. I don't think it makes sense. Now, if the Knicks had a star in place and we're trading other assets to get Chris Paul, and now you've got Chris Paul and a star... It's different, but the Knicks can't get a star. So this doesn't make any sense to me on paper. But Chris Paul with a bunch of youngsters in OKC in a tougher conference has turned them into a playoff team. So who knows? 
I mean, who knows? Maybe Chris Paul could come in here and work magic. I don't think, I mean, just based on the Knicks history, I don't see it, but who knows? The Knicks, to be fair, have been looking at this option for a while, and according to multiple sources around the league, they're taking a look at this. So, to be fair, I think Shams had the last deal. I think he put the last deal out there. The pick protections in the Thunder Rockets, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul trade, 2024 first round, protected one through, or excuse me, one through four, 2026 first round pick, one through four, 2025 swap, one through 20 protected 2021 swap, protected one through four, OKC can swap Clipper pick or Heat pick. Westbrook's departure was preceded by Paul George's trade to the LA Clippers, which brought which was thought to signal the Thunder entering full rebuild mode. But, of course, with Paul, with Shea Gildress-Alexander, with Dennis Schroeder, you know, talking about the Shams part of this, they turn it around. And Chris Paul, I think he's averaging, what, 17 or 18 points per game and 7 assists per game? What is he at? 6.8 assists per game, 63 starts. So he's played every, pretty much every game of the year, I think. Almost every game, if not every game. And he's averaging eight, basically 18 and 7. Holy smokes. So, maybe it's like getting a star. I don't know. But there's a lot of money on this deal. So, the Knicks would have to give up quite a bit to get him. And I don't know if that's worth doing. It might be. It, it might be. It's, it's a lot more difficult of a decision to make than it was six months ago. There's no question about that. Again, I'd lean towards a no here. But... I, you know, I, I, I could be swayed here. You know, you guys let me know what you think, but I, Chris Paul becomes, is a lot more valuable than he was about five or six months ago. It's very intriguing to see what the Knicks are thinking there. And obviously I'd be interested to see what the details of the deal would be before I would give it a, a firm no. Cause right now my no is kind of flimsy. If you can't tell right there, cause Chris Paul has worked wonders with OKC this season with the youngsters they've already got uh, in with the Thunder. Last little note before we get out of here. There's a little bit of a Jeremy Lin story this week that came out, uh, kind of came out yesterday actually. And this was, I didn't know how to react to this because during this time, it's, it's a period where you're like, all right, does this matter? You know, this is old news. Is this just out to be out for for talking and fodder? Or, you know, again, is this just, you know, information we, we didn't have and now it's being released now because the New York Post has run out of stories. But apparently, uh, Jeremy Lin, according to Mark Berman of the New York Post, revealed a plea to his agent at the time to stop uh, his move from the Knicks to the Rockets. Again, for, for those that don't remember, the July 2012 offer sheet that the Rockets signed to take Lynn away from the Knicks. Apparently, Jeremy Lynn wanted to get the the offer lowered by the Rockets and tried hard, apparently, to do it and couldn't get them to lower the offer so the Knicks could match. They upped the offer. The Knicks didn't match, and the Rockets took Jeremy Lynn, took Lynn's sanity away from the New York Knicks franchise. Um, this is from Lynn. So it's it's interesting that it pops up this week. Uh, 
you know, an hour-long one-on-one interview with Mike Breen, uh, basically capping off Lynn's Sanity Week, and that was the big headline from the story. Uh, it was a 15... Uh, the, the return to New York basically ended when James Dolan refused to match Houston's offer, included a $15 million uh, poison pill final year that would include, uh, or that would have put the owner in luxury tax hell. It's according to Mark Berman of the New York Post. Uh, Lynn was a restricted free agent. The Knicks encouraged him to find an offer sheet to match. And basically, Lynn said, I was only offered one contract. I was telling him, Mike Breen, his quote goes on to say, we couldn't get anything from any other team, and so I had to go and find a contract from somebody. And I remember when Houston gave me the offer, I promise you, I just finished a workout and got in my car and got the phone call from my agent. I said to him, can you tell Houston to lower the offer? This is too much. Can you tell someone to lower the offer? Because I want to go back to New York and I wanted New York to match. So again, the sentiment's nice. I guess I always just think like, who cares at this point? What's done is done. It doesn't matter anymore. Lynn's not even really an NBA player anymore. You know, it's his career is basically over. Would it have been nice to get a couple more years with the Knicks? Yeah, I guess. But I, I don't know if the, if him staying with the Knicks would have changed a lot about what would have happened moving forward. He still had a poor relationship uh, with Carmelo Anthony. Um, and it, it was still not really going to work, most likely. So I think it kind of... You could argue it happened the way it was supposed to happen. And then Lynn's career dropped significantly. You know, he ends up winning a title with the, the Raptors, but he barely plays during the playoffs. He's still a champion. There's, you can't take that away from him. But you could argue that this really ended up not mattering in the grand scheme. I think his decision to leave, or in the end, you know, the decision for the Rockets to keep the offer where it was, you could say, rather, and him going to the Rockets, I mean, it didn't really change a whole lot when you look back at it. So regardless, you know, just a little bit of, you know, something to, something to gnaw on during this tough time, the Jeremy Lin uh, situation. So uh, nothing really, in my opinion, nothing really eye-opening comes from that. But interesting news that, they, that, is, that as Knicks fans, if you missed that, you might be interested in taking a further look at it. Again, Mark Berman of the New York Post has a little bit more on that if you want to go take a look. That's it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. Thank you, as always, for listening. Make sure you stay safe out there during this COVID-19 pandemic. Try to enjoy it as best you can. And I will see you guys next week on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network.